Well, we're excited to be here um, to hear this lesson from John on, on, on the greatest weekend of the year. So, Actually, we're going to be doing John 17. We're going to yeah, be backing okay. up. Um, that's still that's that right there at, at when he's starting to run the, run the gauntlet. That's right. I think it would be wise to read the entire chapter. And so I'm, I'm going to take the liberty to do that because it'll save some time. So John 17... Verse 1. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made known your name to those you had given me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that I gave you I have given to them. And they have received them and know in truth that I came from you. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me because they are yours. All mine are yours, and all yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name, that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name, that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost except the one destined to be lost, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you. 
and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. John had to get this through inspiration. I don't think he could have remembered it just from hearing Jesus pray. Mm-hmm. Especially since him and James and Peter were supposed to be sleeping. Mother. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, it's, it's just, he had to get this through inspiration. And you notice that after Jesus had spoken all these words, he looks up into heaven as he prays this prayer. We are so often like this (laughs) when we pray. Mm -hmm. We just finished reading John 17 because uh, we had skipped over it and we're coming back to it. So uh, some things I'd just like to point out and then we'll get started in discussion. The verse, verses 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, verses 1 to 3. So Jesus is looking up into heaven at his Father in his mind. He's looking at his Father. And as, speak, as if speaking to him face to face. Father, the hour has come. He's announcing that the culmination of his work is here. That is, he is... Uh, about to die. And and this is what the chief purpose, one of the chief purposes of his coming into the world. He came to live a life that revealed the Father's character. He now comes to uh, this point in his life where he actually meets the forces of evil and takes them out by dying. And so he says, glorify your son that the Son may glorify you. How is that prayer answered? How does God answer that prayer? How does the Father answer when you, that? When Jesus raises from the dead, because that's when you know Jesus is given the glory that he has overcome death. Okay, when he raises from the dead, rises from the dead, is there any more to that? Well, I think that he had to die first, and he triumphed over death. Okay, so Jesus is glorified on the cross, even though lightning is striking, thunder is rolling, there's darkness in the middle of the day, graves are opening up, the ground has an earthquake, the the veil is rent from from the heavens. Even though all those things happen, Jesus is being glorified, and they think that God has forsaken him because he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, He seems to be under God's wrath. What, how is that glorified? How is Jesus Mom and I were going over that the other day when we were reading Psalm 22. And it's really like, there's more to that than, my God, why are you forsaken me? It's, it's really quite a beautiful poem, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, of course, Christ is so revealed throughout that. Or and then it's a prayer of praise, too. It's not just like, woe is me. Yeah. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if this fits, but I, I remember Carson Johnson, one of my, it was, it was such a shocking kind of thought to us when, when he presented this thought, he says, what is God's greatest glory? It's his, well, as Christians, the cross. Mm-hmm. But it's his coming downness. And when he's given himself, his humility, that it is, we, we says we'll study that forever, the incarnation, because it was such a just outrageous act. Yeah. 
Um, we have Carol first and then Kim. Okay. Well, through through all his flogging and, and everything before he even got to the cross, and once he was upon a cross, you know, he asked God to forgive them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Mm -hmm. yeah. See, we think of glory as power, as power-centered and, and majestic and awesome and dazzling and, and brilliant. But the true glory, the glory of God, is his character. And when his character is revealed, then he is glorified, as uh, Ellen White actually says, to give, God, to give God glory is to make him known. And in whatever way we make the Father or the Son known, we give glory to God. So I, that's how I think, I, think I, I, I like exactly what Doug said uh, and what Carol said. And Kim, you had something to say. Um, no, I'm not. I can't necessarily hear them, so I'm sorry if it's a if it's a repeat. Um, the fact that it was so dark shows how close the father was to the son, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because uh, we wouldn't we wouldn't have been able to withstand the brightness right. of his of his attention. Yeah. As far as him forsaking, I mean, that was. The, he, I, if I understand it right, it, it was the human part of him that was saying, "Why have you forsaken me?" Because, because it was so dark, and yet yeah. he and he couldn't see through the grave right. to go beyond. So yeah. I don't know if that adds anything or not. Okay. Yeah. To me, I think it's uh, what's being said there is that this is the culmination of. The uh, allegation against God. God isn't really love. You know, God is fearful. He's not holy. He's going to kill you. These things. And this is the culmination of showing that God's character is love. And that he's letting his son, he's culminating this whole process. So it's not only us in the world, but it's all the other worlds. See that God is truly love right through the whole process. I don't know if Jesus couldn't see through the, the death and the grave, but it seems to me like he could see through it as long as he maintained the true character of God. <laughs> I think ultimately, I, I actually, uh, Ellen White indicates he couldn't see, but, but I think that his faith in God remained constant. I think so too. And, and that's what's significant. I want to come back to what Kim was saying about God being close and the darkness being evidence of that. Um, I don't know if you ever heard uh, the uh, story of Larry Cavanus. Larry Cavanus has passed away. But back in, I think it was 1991, his son Tad died of Pick disease. Uh, Nemanpick uh, slowly paralyzes uh, a person. Uh, and it, start, it started with Tad in when he was six years old, mm. and so and he died when he was like seventeen. And so for eleven years, the family had to watch their child just slowly deteriorate. And uh, one night, well, they it got to the place where Tad had to have a monitor on him, linked to his parents' bedroom, so that they could hear if he was in crisis because he got to the place where sometimes he couldn't breathe because his tongue would flip back into oh, his throat, and, and he couldn't, he just couldn't get any air. 
uh, and at that point the monitor would go off. And so this one particular night, uh, Larry Cabanis got up something like 11 times in the night uh, to give him, they had to do this to his chin in order to get his tongue dislodged. And he did that like 11 times, and every time he would kneel beside the bed and say, God, I know you can heal him. Why? Why don't you heal him? Please, God. By morning, he was just drained. And he went to his office, and he was at that time, uh, I believe, secretary for the Northern California Conference. So his office was in uh, uh, the Bay Area. And uh, he went to his office, and he began just pacing the floor and pounding his fist in his hand and saying, God, where are you? What about the children in Bosnia? This was back in the days when uh, the, the Croatian-Bosnian uh, war was going on. And it, your children are starving. They're, they're, they're hurting all over the world. You just stand there with your hands in your pockets. And he was just, just almost railing. And finally, he came up for air and, and realized that on one side of him was the treasurer, and the other side was the conference president. And they must be wondering who he's chewing out in there. And so he called his secretary. He said, I'm going to be gone for 45 minutes. He walked out the door, got into his car, and pounded the steering wheel and drove and drove and just tatted out with God. And finally, he was drained. Couldn't do any more. And he said it was like God opened the car door and got in beside him. And he said to him, Larry, I know what you're going through. I too had to watch my son die. And when he died, I blackened the heavens. I rent the veil in the temple. I caused an earthquake. I sent lightning and thunder because it hurt to watch my son die. And I, when listening to that, I used to uh, play it for my students in God and Human Suffering, and I still do occasionally. It just mm. I, it depends on the dynamic of the class whether I actually take the time to play it. But I at least tell the story. Right. I had never, and I'm not finishing the story because um, it would take us in a different direction, but. I had never thought before of those spectacular, what we think of as signs, of something supernatural happening, as God's manifestations of his horrendous grief. It, it's, it, it totally paints a different picture suddenly. Suddenly, mm -hmm. this is not two-dimensional anymore. This is three-dimensional, and, and grief is just pouring out of the Father on a level we can't comprehend. So, back to our text. Just said one thing about that. You know, I, I, I think when Jesus was on the cross, he, he really was praying Psalms 22, not just that one verse. Very possibly. And, and, and at, the end, at the end of that, it's, it's really, really a psalm of praise more mm -hmm. than just a, a mm -hmm. psalm of petition. Well, his final words, Father, into your hands, I can yeah, yeah. your spirit. Because at the end, you know, I, I don't want to read the whole thing because we've got to keep moving, but, you know, at the end of... The, the last seven or so verses of that of that psalm are about the future 
and 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 how God will be glorified forever. Mm-hmm. You know, so so I, I, I to to me that's the the mm-hmm. but Lou when I read it that's what I think of. like he's he's thinking beyond just his own suffering. Right. Okay, so now we have this preface. The, the, this is the backdrop against which this prayer is prayed, that God will be glorified, that Jesus will glorify his character. Uh, so, uh, and, and he's to do, he wants this glory since you have given him authority over all people. Now, this is a reference back to, to Matthew 28, right? All authority, Jesus said, has give, given me. But he doesn't say this before his death. He says this after his death. After his resurrection. But since you have given me, he sees it now. You have given me authority over all people. And what's that authority to do? To give eternal life to everybody. To all you have given him. And who has he given him? Anybody who wants to be given. Mm -hmm. And this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And I, I really think that um, what we need is a punctuation here. This is eternal life, colon, that mm-hmm. they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. If this is eternal life, that's not a ticket that God sends us in the mail. Right. Here's your, here's your e-ticket. Now go to heaven. That's not a legal document that he sends us in the mail. Here's your means of getting to heaven. It's not a, uh, an economic receipt that we get that entitles us to heaven. It is an experience. That word to know is experiential. It isn't just enough to know about God's character. It isn't just enough to know that he's loving and kind. I've known people who can, who can say things better than I can about God, but the way they treat people mm-hmm. <laughs> is, is scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like uh, some, part, some part of the brain doesn't communicate with the other part of the brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and this, this knowledge has to be experiential. It has to be something that we actually live and it has to stop being I think three dimensional even and it has to become four dimensional which is beyond this world that yes what's, what's the best uh, are, are we missing something in knowing the best from out of you know a biblical background what would they understand when they say to, to when he's he uses that a lot Let's go to First John. First John one. I find that it's helpful to have First John in mind when reading John's Gospel. He, uh, it's like First John is an outline of what John's Gospel is really about. So John one one, we declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed, and we have seen it and testified to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. 
It, that's the knowing. We have seen it. We have heard it. We have felt it. And unless we think that it isn't possible for us to, because after all, Jesus has ascended from he to heaven, and he's very far removed from us now, and we can't see him physically like John could. We can't hear him physically like John could. We can't touch him literally like John could. I know from personal experience that it is possible to live it, to experience it as if it were right there in front of me. But it takes nurturing something that we destroy perpetually. And that's the imagination. I believe that God does speak to us in, in, in different individual ways. And a lot of times we just, you know, account it to something else, you know, given it an excuse like, oh, well, it's just a coincidence or, you know, because mm -hmm. there's different signs mm -hmm. in in ways when you're seeking you know he 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 definitely i know him from i speak strictly for myself and other people that i've heard testify to this that you know when you're seeking you will find and and mm -hmm. if you're looking he will show him and reveal himself to you to in a way that you know is personal for you he doesn't speak to everyone in the same way can you imagine a life that doesn't end without the presence of Jesus Christ. I mean, that would that that would be like living in living in hell. I mean, if he's not, you know, so it's Christ's presence that makes eternal life even worthwhile. You know, like I know this. I would rather have you know walk with Jesus in my own flawed way, and and but have him still be a part of my life, and have it end here. But at least Jesus was part of it and live it forever without him. I mean, that would be awful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The, um, you know, I think this chapter is what, you know, I think we only catch a glimpse of what's knowing and this oneness and this, it, it's kind of like, and it's hard to describe it, Gene, is, because we, we struggle with this in this class. You can't transmit it to someone yeah, else. It, That's the, the problem. What is the essence of this stuff, you know? I, was, uh, uh, I don't know why the statement came into my mind where she says, you know, to to think his thoughts, to do his will, to you were, were you you're in this zone, you're in this like when I used to play a lot of sports, you can get in a zone, or you can get in a relational zone where you just you're just in love with him, and where you experience his presence and and you're and it's so hard to stay in that zone. Often we're distracted by this and that and the other thing. I don't know. If that's what he's talking about, where he says this oneness, this oneness, him and the Father. And, and I think so because I, I think of my life before my conversion experience, and that's what I'm referencing when I say that I know that it's possible to experience this because I was going through the Bible as I was preaching to an imaginary audience, and, uh, and, and I was going through the life from this distance, and then somewhere just before Gethsemane or maybe about Gethsemane, it stopped being a sermon, and it started becoming an experience. I was there. I was, I was watching Jesus pray. I was watching him uh, get taken by the the crowd, and and I actually missed his trials, all of them, because I was struggling against myself, and as I and I was afraid I wouldn't get to Golgotha in time to see him die. 
And I got, but I did get there in time to hear him say, Father, forgive them. Mm-hmm. And, and my whole world kept in. And, and I think of my life before that time, I mean, the, the Sabbath before, I, or several Sabbaths before, I had been with my best friend in uh, the youth uh, camp meeting pavilion. And I was criticizing to her every single person, practically, that I looked at in that room. They weren't dressed right, they weren't, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It was just <laughs> doing nothing but criticizing them. And the... After I had that experience, that next Sabbath, I went to church and loved everybody. You know, it was just, a, it was a dramatic change. It was just, just incredible. And, of course, John says that by this we know we have passed from death to life when we have love for one another. And I, I think of how, as a result of that, my whole life, it, this was not a change of... You know, one day I had a revival, and then three weeks later it was gone. This was the end, rest of my life. Yeah, yeah. And I think of, of the sense I've had ever since of God's presence. I, yes, there have been dark days. About a year later, Satan challenged me on the picture of God that I had gotten from that experience. And he try, tested me to the nth degree, trying to get me to break me from it. Uh, and it was a very dark time. And I did lose a sense of God's presence. And I didn't think he could possibly maintain what he had started. But he did. He brought me through that. Which is another story. And back to that presence. And from that time on, my whole life, my whole direction of my life, my whole way of of looking at reality, my way of looking at God, my way of looking at the Bible, and other people, was drastically changed. So... You know, I think of him dwelling with me more than I think of him dwelling in me. And yet, as I've lived my life more recently, I have stopped trying, laying down my agendas. And I go into the classroom cognizant of the fact that whatever happens that is good in the classroom is because God is there. It's because of what they are experiencing from the Holy Spirit. It is not because of what I'm saying merely. I mean, I've gone one step beyond that. I no longer try to calculate what I'm going to say. Now, I, I was blessed with a spontaneous temperament that had a great memory. <laughs> so so I, I don't have to get tied to notes when my teaching. But, but I'm more and more, I'm trying to let God just completely take over the wheel. Yeah. And my not getting in the way. That doesn't mean that I don't think my thoughts and I don't prepare and I don't, I don't give fresh insights and all that. But all of that, that whole experience is with God. I mean, none of it's divorced from Him. It's not that, okay, I'm going to do my own studying and then God can help me from there. Uh, he does it. He, he helps me with it all. It's a cooperative effort. It's that word cooperation, uh, if we enlarge it beyond compliance... I don't like the word compliance. I think that much of our obedience is compliance. And it's not real obedience. Real obedience is understanding and hearing. It is, it is joining together with God to work together with Him in partnership. And, and the dwelling in us is how that light of His love just infuses us so that we can minister to others. Yeah, I think you described that. There, there. I think for our hardest thing to 
in our cognitive world, I think the more schooling you have, the harder time you have, is that, that there is a mystical dimension to spirituality. He mm -hmm. says, you know, I and them and you and me, you know, what is this stuff? Is this just we memorize the scripture and we quote it, or that we believe it? But he shows up. And he changes, there's no kind of explanation that he could change the neurological thought patterns the way you just described it. And, and I know when I experienced that myself, he just, he just changes it. It's, it's almost like, it's almost like he takes our neurology that's all messed up, the wiring's all skewed and <laughs> broken and, and all of that, and he puts his, the light of his love in there, and all those little quantas of love, and and they mend everything. They mend everything and set it alive. It, it's it's just amazing, because I have, uh, honestly, I shouldn't have that ability because I have a very bad brain, in the sense that I have Lyme disease in it, that has actually eaten away some of the gray mat. I mean the the white matter, but not the gray matter apparently. Uh, from the MRI. Mm. So God it has his protection <laughs> working in my head. But I also suffered a loss of oxygen for at least an hour when I was an infant because of croup. So I shouldn't be intact. In and I know, I know that sometimes my cognition gets weak and, and disabled because of my illness. But um, when God is there, it's like I'm whole. And it's just amazing. So um, let's go to four, verse 4. We've, we've said now eternal life is an experience. It is knowing God. Mm -hmm. It's, it's go, moving into a different zone than our human brokenness. Mm -hmm. And I glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. I would say this is another colon sentence. I have glorified you on earth, colon, I have finished the work you have given me to do. What is the work God gave him to do? To glorify him. I have made him known. Without Jesus' revelation, could we have that experience? And one of the things I, I suggest to people who are hurting and who have been, in, who have been wounded by people is to pick a story in the Bible, particularly a story about Jesus, and to imagine, modernize it, make it adaptable to themselves, and imagine that they are that person and that Jesus is ministering to them. I got wounded in college at another institution than this one, and uh, it, it threatened my ability to have any confidence in myself or to to have a restored self-worth, sense of self-worth. I decided that the best way to handle that was to imagine that Jesus was a psychologist or a psychiatrist and he'd set up shop down the street for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I would go and see him and he would talk to me with he would tell me the truth. He'd be very honest about me. But he would do it in such love and such compassion that I would go away whole instead of wounded. The other thing I did was to take Mary's anointing of Jesus' feet 
and imagine that I had all the people who are critical of me, and they were quite a number of people critical of me, sitting in a room with me, and Jesus telling them those beautiful words, leave her alone. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and then to go on to say, you know, he gives Mary the, mo- the greatest tribute he gives anyone. For I tell you, wherever this gospel goes to all the world, this will be told not in memory of me. He could have said in memory of me. But he says in memory of her. So the, that's, and, and more recently, there's other stories that have really been, I've found healing uh, to just, even if I just imagine that I'm there watching that happen. And again, we need, we need to talk about the imagination. When we talk about healing and wholeness and what Jesus came to do. Because I am convinced that our educational system, our television system, our, our whole lifestyle system has actually destroyed our imagination. Uh, and that, that we need to restore it. We need to give people the liberty to imagine what is happening here in Scripture. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. Is he praying that for that before the cross or is he praying for that after the cross? That's a great question. I'm trying to think, you know, on the cross, he's not glorified in the way that we think. Well, he's not glorified with the glory he had in God's presence. Mm -hmm. And yet, in a sense, he is, because when God's presence comes to earth, he has to veil it in darkness. And and, uh, as as you mentioned, I think it was you, Carol, that mentioned the darkness means that he was there. No. Oh, that was Kim. Kim. Okay, Kim mentioned that that means the darkness is there, that he was there. And that darkness, he was glorified by that. I mean, it, it changed everything that happened around the cross. All the jeering, all the uh, persecutory comments, everything stopped with that darkness. It was, it was an oppressive darkness because the father's heart was being broken with his son. Unless we think that at the cross, Jesus suffered alone, and the Father is just there, witnessing it. No, they died together, as it were. Yeah, the so. Father couldn't, his divinity couldn't die. He couldn't die in the sense that Jesus could as a human being. But he, he went through all the agony of death. And yet there was separation because of sin. And that separation is part of what caused that horrible agony. Uh, and, and then keep in mind the piece from edu- book education, that Jesus' death is just a taste to our dull senses, just a bit of, of understanding to our dull senses that of the eternal pain that God has ever, ever suffered because of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when I hear you talking about, you know, like, uh, God's glory, and then it being covered by um, darkness. By darkness. What it reminds me of is is when God comes down to Moses in Exodus, and God shows Himself, and Moses says, "Show me Your glory." 
and and even when God is showing His glory, He has to cover Moses first of all. Mm -hmm. But then also He explains that His glory is not power and the ability to destroy or the ability to do things like that. But He says, "The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, mm -hmm. uh, maintaining love to the thousands and forgiving wicked, uh, the wickedness, rebellion, and sin." And so I feel mm -hmm. like. God's glory from the beginning is established in the cross because when He dies for all humanity and He shows that His glory is maintaining love to the thousands and by dying on the cross He's doing that, He is showing the original glory that He had from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Great point. That's a great yeah. statement. Carol? Recently I had an encounter uh, with one of the clerical residents where I live and, you know, just to show how prominent you know, the powers of evil and are amongst us. I mean, this man actually said, because I was ministering and talking about Jesus with a few other believers, and he was just kind of walking by saying, oh, well, well, Jesus lost the first round by dying on the cross. And I was like, well, wow, you're mistaken. Like, I don't, you know, you've been totally deceived in, in the message because it's the exact opposite, you know. And I was really dumbfounded by this man's statement like wow you know it's amazing how prominent that the powers of evil are amongst us too you know deceiving mankind notice he says glorify me in your own presence he's feeling that withdrawal starting to take place with the glory I had in your presence before the world existed that's taking us back a place, isn't mm -hmm. it? Before the world existed. That's before sin entered the universe, in my calculation. And the reason I, th I think that is because, uh, despite all scholarly attempts to t proclaim that creation is ex nihilo, it does say the earth was without form and, and was empty and darkness is on the face of the earth. Therefore, there was something there mm -hmm. that I believe God created I don't believe, unless uh, Satan tried his hand at creation and created a bunch of rocks in space or something. Uh, but but um, I, my understanding is that God started the plans for this world, and it may be that he put something here, and then Satan disrupted everything. Mm -hmm. And he had to delay his plans. So when he talks about before the world existed, I think he's talking about before Lucifer began his campaign against God. Mm -hmm. Before there was ever a doubt about who Jesus was. Before there was ever any jealousy about who he was. He wants that original glory. And that's the real restoration. That's why Jesus dies for the universe. He doesn't just die for you and me. As Paul puts it, Okay, uh, our time is up, and this is a good place to stop before we get to verse 6, which changes the topic. Let's have prayer. Father, on this day, so many hundreds in millennia ago, you rested as your son rested in the tomb. You rested knowing that in the morning you would wake him up. But Jesus rested in confidence that all would be well. And we ask that on the Sabbath day, 
we may rest in your love, knowing that when we face darkness, when we face separation, when we face trial and tribulation, that we have the morning to look forward to. May we not lose sight of that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Amen.